0: Welcome, you're listening to English Breakfast. This is Angeline Fisher, and our guest today is Michelle Hunter. Originally from the UK, she tells us about the Teachers Association of Stuttgart, as well as her women-centered coaching practice. Stay tuned to hear more about this trainer and coach. Tell me what
1: ELTAS is about. ELTAS is about bringing together and providing a place for teachers of English as a second language. Most teachers work as freelancers, so they're all, as we say in German, selbstständig, so they, they work on their own. Although that's not always the case. There are also, we've, I've met some German teachers of English who come from the, the school system, which is really interesting to have them join in with us. The kind of workshops that we predominantly aim to offer are workshops that provide personal and professional development for teachers. How did you decide to come to Germany? How did it come about? It came about when my husband was offered an opportunity to follow his boss to Germany and I wasn't working. We just had our first child and I thought, well, why not? Let's go on an adventure to a foreign country for a couple of years just to sort of do something different his job was kind of stuck in a rut so it was good for him to move out of that and do something new in a different environment as I was a new mum not working it was easy so we just up and went where were you living at the time we were living in a very nice small town outside of Reading called Goring Goring on Thames down on the river Thames Mm -hmm. it's not far from Henley you know where they do the boat race very nice. It's, it's beautiful down there, really beautiful. So we moved to a small village near Herrenberg called Oberjesingen. So not near Stuttgart, we were near uh, Bublingen, because that's where the office is where my husband works. And how was it different than where you were living before? Water, I grew up, England is an island. I grew up on an island by the sea, always had the water nearby. Then to move to the middle of a massive landmass with no sea anywhere, it was actually quite bizarre. The first six months, I felt really kind of flat and tired and weary and just strange and didn't really know why. And then I read some notes. There was a magazine for the wives coming over with their husbands with HP for the support group. And I read in an article in this newsletter that it's a known fact that the ions in the air are different when you're in the middle of a landmass to when you live by the coast so it was actually it wasn't just in my mind it was a physiological difference so once I knew that it kind of helped but it was it was for about six to seven months I just felt really it did make a big difference on the positive side what I really enjoyed was the vastness I swear the sky is different here to the UK it's smaller over the island of the United Kingdom. In Oberzingen, we lived under the roof flat, so I'd be able to open up Velux windows and stand up and look at the sky, and it was just vast, and I really enjoyed the openness of it. Out in the countryside, it's all quite flat and open in that area. That was another big difference. It's just bigger, more spacious, down in Devon, it, there's a lot of space for everybody. But when I was working, I was in the east, which was a big shock. Probably more, actually, moving from the west coast of England okay. to around London, where everybody's space was reduced by, I don't know, 150%, it felt like. We were all squashed up. So then to move to um, the countryside around Stuttgart, It was bliss again. You came here very spontaneously then. Did you make any plans before you came? Did you make any preparations? No, not at all. I mean, I grew up with a father who moved us around every couple of years. So moving is completely normal and natural. And I just do it because I like variety and I like change. What better than to go to a whole new country, never mind just a new town within the country? So... I was very excited and I was thinking, well, it's only be for a couple of years. It'll be a really great adventure. How did you get involved with ELTAS? I was working as an English language teacher in the very early days and feeling like there must be other people in a similar situation who come together to meet and share experiences of what it's like to work as an English teacher, English language teacher. So you were freelancing before? Right from the very beginning. So I was looking for an organization and I found it. Basically, it's the herding instinct. I wanted to be with a group of people like me so that I wasn't on my own anymore. That was eight years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. I've lost count now. And I did. I found what I was looking for. I want to be an active part and help push Eltas in a direction that, I suppose, ultimately, the way I wanted it to serve me. And it seems to be something that's in, every, in other, enough other people's minds that they agree with me. So, it, I mean, it's not my own agenda. It's an agenda that, that is reflected amongst the wider group. And I feel because I've already got 13 years experience of teaching and working and building up my business, that I've actually got something valuable to give back. So I put myself forward to be the chair Which for me personally was a big step because initially it was when I first joined the committee and I just wanted to be part of the group and I never spoke and I never really contributed because I was too nervous and too shy and thinking, I don't know anything, what can I actually contribute? So I just kind of sat back and watched and did what I was told and helped where I could. And then gradually over the years, my confidence grew and and then I decided, no, I actually have something to say now and actually something to contribute, something actually concrete that I could offer because I felt I'd gotten to the place where I knew what I was talking about, and I had the confidence and the assertiveness to push it forward. So I put myself forward, and I got voted in. And the team that got voted in with me is absolutely brilliant, and we are working together in a way that I'm enjoying, and I think most of them are enjoying also. We have a good mixture of people who've been been a long time been in the committee as well for a number of years and also some fresh blood which is something i thought was very important new people with new ideas and a fresh perspective so you've got the 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 knowledge there to form the foundation and help with questions that the new people have but then the new people bring in new ideas and for me the, the the word is freshness and that's really exciting What's your membership like? How has ELTA's changed over the years? ELTA's members come in all shapes and sizes. They're very diverse. Predominantly female. The teaching industry is dominated by women. So this if any if are there are any male teachers out there listening to this, we are very keen to include you in the group because diversity is something that provides More opportunities, more input, and diverse thinking. So it is something we are very aware of that to have more guys in the group, we get a more cross, a wider cross section of individuals providing different ideas and thoughts. And well, it's just kind of fun to have the mixture. So diversity is an important
0: component to to Altus.
1: I believe it should be any organisation that just. Sticks with the way things have always been done is going to stagnate and eventually just fizzle out. To keep something going and growing, it's important to have a variety of individuals coming and going. I mean, people do come and go, it's the nature of being an expat, it's the nature of the business of English teaching, that people come for a few years and then leave again. So that in itself is a natural turnaround. What we see is quite often the the central core people have been the same. Well, I've been in Eltas, what did I say, about 10 years. And there are still some people there that were there 10 years, which is not a bad thing. I mean, that's really, really good. It's nice to see the variety and, and the new faces. In your situation,
0: it was the case with your husband getting a job here, and then you're looking for options and it seemed like a natural progression? Yes. Or,
1: or how, how was it for you? Okay, well, I can only talk about my experience. So I fell into the job of teaching English as a foreign language, because I was a young mom, and I needed something to get me out the house, um, part time work that was flexible. I s- approached a friend who was very keen to have me join her company, because I was a native speaker with a business degree. And that, was apparently all I needed and I, w- I said well hang on a minute I've got no teaching experience I can't possibly teach and they said oh don't worry about that you know we'll help you put your lesson plans together and give you some tips. The main thing is you speak English and you know something about business and talking to people that I know in the business that can often be the case. Many native speakers of English have fallen into the business of teaching English a foreign language And those that stick with it do actually turn into really good and, in inverted commas, proper teachers, which was my own experience. So I I kind of fumbled my way through learning how to teach English as a foreign language and then got myself a qualification, a, a, a TESOL qualification. That's Teach English to Speakers of Other Languages qualification, otherwise known as TEFL. That's probably a more common acronym, Teach English as a Foreign Language. So that gave me the confidence to say, okay, now I know how to be a teacher of English. It was pretty much an on-the-job learning process for me, I've discovered. What I've seen is non-native speakers of English actually make the effort to go and learn how to teach English as a foreign language right from the get-go. And they actually have probably a stronger didactic methodological basis However, they suffer the disadvantage of not being native speakers of English. It's quite a contentious issue and I have my own opinions on it. That's where ELTAS comes in because people without the methodological background and the, the official teacher's qualifications can learn through the workshops many additional skills.
0: Maybe you can tell me about some of the workshops that you guys have already had in the past.
1: We have covered functional teaching workshops such as how to teach telephoning in English, how to teach meetings in English. We try to get expert guest speakers to come in and share their experiences. And so, for example, brings to mind is Stephanie and Tom. They have been in the business for years. And they provide excellent workshops that are hands-on interactive. And so, for example, the telephone simulation workshop they did for us shows the teachers how they can provide a lesson for students to learn the language that they need when they're telephoning in English and to actually practice those skills. English language teaching is very much about communication and giving students or learners hands-on experience of the language in reality. So it's not like in school where the teacher opens the book at page 47 and gets everybody to read aloud a piece of text or to learn verbatim some tables of verbs. I guess English is the lingua franca. That, I think, is the absolute key. It's a lingua franca. It's a tool for business. That's what I often say to my students. You know, you've got your toolbox of skills that you need to do your business and to function, and English is just another one of them. So my job is to help you sharpen that tool so that you can use it more effectively. So I'll sit down with my groups and go through the language of, well, how can I negotiate competently with my counterpart in an English that works and that functions? So on the one hand, there is a need to speak accurately. My argument is listening to native speakers in their home countries, they don't speak accurately. So it's a bit of a high expectation for our non-native English-speaking students, well, okay, we're in Germany here, so for our German students to speak perfect English. You know, if if, if a speaker makes a mistake but it doesn't interrupt the flow of communication, it's no big deal, I think. So perhaps that's another difference between teaching English in the school system and teaching English for business purposes. My job is to get my clients up and fit enough that they can do what they need to do without sitting down every evening and learning 400 pieces of vocabulary and going through gap fill exercises in their workbooks. Some students like to do that and, you know, there's plenty of material out there that offers them the option. I find most people after a 8-10 to 10 hour day's work in the office don't want to go home and sit down and study and I completely understand that. My mantra is to build your English language into your daily routine so that it doesn't become a chore, it becomes part of your daily habit. So if there's any opportunity to speak to a visitor from a foreign country, go up and speak to them. If you've got the opportunity to do a training course in English, go and do it in English. So you're not actually sitting down with your books and learning the language, you're using it on a daily basis. And then before you know it, you look back over a period of time and it's like, well hey, I'm actually using English and I feel really good with it. So that that's that's kind of where my what my experience with learning German's been. So more using real
0: language. Active, real real language. I think there are real needs
1: yep. in, in a lot of the, these companies and when you're dealing with international business. And Building the confidence, that's actually the tagline for my, my business, Keep Training, Communicate Confidently, because that's what I've seen over the years. So many people have a competent level of English, but don't believe it, and they don't feel that they can really use it. So for me, I a big part of what I do, as well as teaching it as a language, is just giving them the confidence to use it.
0: And you're also doing coaching, is that right? Yes. How does that work into this scheme? Or is it something completely separate for you?
1: For a long time, I felt that what I was doing with my ang- English language teaching was a form of coaching. So that ties in with building confidence, giving my my students and my clients uh, a safe environment to move forward with their language. And, and to me, that's a kind of coaching role. Since I've become a coach, I have, it, well, we can talk about the semantics of the difference between teaching and coaching and training. I mean, you know, there's lots of different opinions about that. There is a definite divide between what a coach does and what a trainer does. However, I have found myself able to apply a lot of the coaching tools that I've learned to the, the teaching environment. So, for example, listening longer and waiting for my students and giving them more time to think I know from my own personal experience, my tendency to jump in and provide the answer because I'm so clever and I know the answer and look, this is what you need to be saying. What I've discovered is if I wait a little bit longer, it's surprising how many students actually find the answer for themselves when they're given the time and the space. That is a big thing that I've learned from from the coaching. Reflection is another thing. So it's, working on a topic and what it's like and then i will ask why are we doing this what is this bringing you what's the point of this so especially at the university because i teach at the Hochschule here in stuttgart and the students they're so busy racing through all the material just to get to the end so they can write their exams and get the good grade that they need so i'm using the coaching tool to say well guys hang on a minute stop and think why do we just do that? What's the benefit? What have you learned from that? And they're looking at me and they're thinking, oh, God, come on, I don't know. But then I wait and I'll stop and give them the time to reflect and discuss it. So that's something I'm really enjoying seeing in my teaching profession, that the transfer or, or the, the combination of coaching skills. I guess teaching. it's a way
0: for them also to, to take ownership of what they're actually doing.
1: Gosh, yes, exactly. Learner autonomy. That, I mean, coaching comes from, or well, my style of coaching comes from a, a huge respect for the person opposite me who's my equal. No? It, it's not like, okay, the traditional school scenario is the teacher is up here, they know everything, and they will tell the students what they need to do and how they should behave in the classroom and, and la la. The frontal, the fr- frontal classroom. Uh, tell, I'll tell you, yes. I mean, I know generally the business or or the industry of teaching is moving away from that. Okay, I'm exaggerating the point. And to the, the more coaching style, which we have to also consider is very big in business at the moment. Coaching management styles is something that's growing hugely, which I find very interesting. So using the coaching style in teaching, I accept that my student is equal to me and that they have already a wealth of experience and knowledge behind them. And so I'm happy to ask them for their opinions. Well, what do you think? You know, why are we doing this? And another big thing that I think is very important is to say, well, what do you want to learn? You know, I might come with my course book and my curriculum and say, right, we have to do this, this and this. And they're all sitting there thinking, "Mm." whereas if the students have had a say in what they want to do, they're more motivated, they're more engaged. And it works. I've just done this with, um, I had a group of master's students at the Hochschule Reutlingen, I was so pleased. The feedback at the end of the course was that they were really happy that they had a say in what they wanted to learn and that it applied to their next steps. So they were able to use the material that they learned in English. Immediately afterwards, we looked at preparing for CV writing and job applications ready to do their internships. So So, very practical things for them. Very practical. And we had fun, you know, and because they felt they had control over what they were learning then it worked better. ELTIS is based in Stuttgart.
0: How is it also an international organization?
1: We have over 200 members in the English Language Teachers Association of Stuttgart. There are people from... Okay, well, I'm British. There's plenty of Brits, Americans. We have people from South Africa, from Jamaica. We have people who've lived in Asia... Also within Europe, um, one of the women on the committee is from the Czech Republic. We actually have a hugely international and diverse membership. I, I mentioned earlier there's a lot of coming and going, toing and froing, and that, that's the way that teaching English as a foreign language is essentially. People use it as a as a way to move around the world. So in Stuttgart, we're very lucky to see the variety of nationalities coming to teach English and then of course we have the Germans who teach English as a foreign language who can also come around from all over Germany now we've got people from northern Germany up in Hamburg um, from eastern Germany that have moved down to Stuttgart so even within the German borders we have a diversity of individuals from the different Bundesländer and how is it with your guest
0: lectures for instance the lecturers that come in your speakers for your events Oh, where do they come from
1: yeah we try to mix that up too so we have a mixture of, of local people giving presentations and running workshops and then we'll fly people in from around the world um, the UK is probably the easiest to fly people in from because they're near and there are there are so many interesting and experienced speakers that we can get to come to Stuttgart so people like Mark Powell Scott Thornbury he's I'm not sure where he's based, but he flies all around the world. And so we're very excited to get the big name speakers and Evan Frendo. We've even had Mario Rinvaluki come and talk a few years ago. We ought to get him to come again. So that is something we try to provide for the membership that they're guaranteed, the people coming to talk to them and and teach them, if you like know what they're talking about, and have a good, solid reputation. The other thing that's very important is they're good presenters, that they're fun to listen to and interesting to watch. For the teachers who
0: teach as well, they also want to be taught something and be entertained at the same time.
1: Absolutely. And, And I know from personal experience, teachers, when they're watching someone from their own peer group running a workshop they can be quite critical you know the expectations are quite high so building up a rapport with your audience if you're a speaker is very important and pretty much we've been very I don't want to use the word lucky it's not luck it's it's a fact now we have good speakers that come and are able to engage entertain and interest our membership And give them something to go home with. One of the key things that we aim to provide is after a Saturday workshop, for example, that the teachers have in their hand a lesson that they can use first thing Monday morning, that's ready ready made and ready to go. So it's very practical and very useful for the teachers.
0: English Teachers Association, there are other ones also in other cities, is that
1: right? Correct, there are many. We aim to all network together, So, and that, that's one of the things, as, as Chair of ELTAS, I'm very keen on doing, is building stronger connections with our fellow associations from Hamburg to Munich to... Ulm is a new one, and near Bielefeld, there's a new group that's just started up, Elta Owl. And so do you guys meet periodically? Or we do, we do. And in fact, I am hosting, or we, Eltas, are hosting the next inter-Elta meeting in March next year. So we aim to bring representatives of each Elta together annually, just to check in with each other. What have you been doing? How are things going? How are you increasing your membership? Who would you recommend as a good speaker? Which conferences would you say are worth visiting? So next Saturday, I'm going to Frankfurt to be part of the ELTAF. So that's the English Language Teachers Association of Frankfurt. I believe they're actually the largest association, got over 450 members. So their conference is big and really interesting. So two of us from ELTAS are going to go network and just enjoy being with fellow teachers outside of Stuttgart.
0: Wow, so there's a, a lot of networking, a lot of sharing of, of knowledge, I guess, and also contacts. So that's the national level. And is there anything that you do on, a I guess, an international level? I guess in a way it's always international with your group.
1: It is. It is. Funnily enough, what I've noticed over the years is although the membership is international, the outlook of the organization isn't always so international. We're, freelance English teachers are always so busy and there's always so much work to do. It's very easy to fall into the trap of putting your blinkers on and just focusing on your own daily business. Another thing that I want to push Eltas to do is open up and look more outside. So I'm forging stronger connections with the International Association of Teachers of English as a Foreign Language, commonly known as IATEFL. TEFL. That's the sort of overall Governing bodies. So the LTAs, the associations in Germany, are directly connected to IOTEFL, who help and support the associations, run their business and organize themselves. So they provide a framework to follow. So if you start up a new association, you don't know what to do or how to go about it. IOTEFL has written a handbook, which then they pass down to the associations. And you see, I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know there was that support. So you're not autonomous then, in that sense? Well, yes and no, we, we are, but it, it's kind of like we've drifted so far from the mothership, we forgot that there was a mothership up there altogether. I am trying to guide us back a little bit more closely towards the mothership, because there is so much more we can learn from and profit from, and also give back to IATEFL. So, for example, we have coming up this year, there's a subgroup of IATEFL called the Business English Special Interest Group, BISIG. It's the annual conference here in Stuttgart. And that is very international. We'll have members from the depths of Eastern Europe are coming. And we even potentially have people from as far away as Africa. Okay, they don't tend to come to the Special Interest Group conferences so much, but they will definitely go to the international conferences. The potential for sharing and interacting with English language teachers from the whole world is just huge I think we forget that living in Stuttgart because we have it so good down here there's a lot of business we are probably one of the best paid areas certainly in Germany and, and definitely compared to rest of Europe so it's very easy just to sort of stay in our comfort zones and do what we do without actually seeing what's going on around us so I, I want us as a group to be more aware of what more is available internationally on the one hand In LTAS, we are actively encouraging and supporting and offering the training and development of using technology. It's probably one of the most often asked for workshops in LTAS. And it's a slow process and I I do see people do struggle with it, but they are making an effort. On the other hand, I've begun to notice, I I, I read a lot of um, German training magazines And I've just noticed, I read just this week, that there seems to be the beginning of a backlash against e-learning. And that the students, the learners are, well, from my own personal experience, my students, they don't like it because they want the face-to-face classroom personal interaction. They don't want to then go home having spent all day in front of a monitor, sit down with a computer and do their lessons even though some of the programs are very interactive and communicative, now that you can speak to it and it speaks back to you and tests your pronunciation and your vocabulary, they're really not excited about doing that. And I think the industry is beginning to get that feedback. There was a report conducted asking personnel managers what the results of their e-learning programs, not just for languages but for other, other training programs, and... It's looking pretty poor, the actual results of what people are learning or not learning when they are given these packages to go home and or even in the office. I do know some of my students have the opportunity to work at their desks on their e-learning programs. They don't want to.
0: I think there's something about the experiential, the actual interaction with people.
1: Well, speaking, communicating, using a language is social interaction. If you're doing it on your own... Quite frankly, what's the point? I think it has its use in its place if it's for the right kind of learner with the right kind of motivation. There are the learners out there who want to to improve their accuracy, they want to increase their vocabulary, and okay, maybe that is something better done on your own in peace and quiet. It comes back to my argument that it's a tool in the toolbox. It's a form. What I need to inform you as my counterpart of what I'm thinking and how I would like to do my business with you. So I need you there not a screen. I mean, all right, even if you're only in a screen, but you're communicating. So like over Skype or whatever, interactively, you're still the person who's going to answer my questions. So if you're approaching a client,
0: do you do some kind of needs analysis and then and then choose what you're going to do based on that? Or how, what, how do you go about doing it?
1: Needs analysis with any form of service providing is essential because I've got my my wealth of services that I can provide but how do I know which one you need unless I ask you so that is always I mean even when I've got lots of information from um, my client about my students I'll take that with me but then I will always spend the first meeting asking them directly what they want and how they want to learn that's also another important thing you know I had a group of financial um, auditors And I went in there with my usual bright and bubbly interactive games and teamwork and and doing all sorts of different things and moving around. And they just sat there and looked at me and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? And then I, I also something through the coaching. I learned that there are different kind of people and they like to work methodically and they like to work on their own and concentrate on a piece of paper in front of them steadily, systematically through. So once I understood that... I incorporated that style of exercise more into the lessons, but I didn't let them off the interactive games completely. And it didn't take long for them to get used to that different way of working. And we got to the point where they actually quite enjoyed it in the end as well. So that was quite satisfying for me.
0: What were some of the barriers for you to be successful? Or what were maybe some of the surprises that came along
1: the way? The biggest thing for me was the inability to communicate I'm obviously a teacher, so I like communicating and helping other people communicate. I'm female. We like to communicate. We need to communicate. I spent the first two years in Germany just feeling utterly stupid. I'd go into the bakery and I couldn't even ask for a bread roll. I just didn't have the words to say the basics. It's
0: debilitating.
1: I was just... Oh, it was awful. And I was very fortunate that one of my neighbours was happy to help me and use her school English to just just be there and help me and, and walk me around the village and, and do things and, well, most importantly, be a friend to have a cup of coffee with. Once I got in with the HP Wives group, it made a huge difference because then there was another group of like-minded people in similar situations.
0: So you had a community that was able to support you exactly. during this transition.
1: Exactly. And and for me, that was more important than learning German because I was a new mum, new country, Newly married, no job, completely out of my comfort zone and an utterly new environment. So for me, it was more important to build a solid foundation from which I could then go out into the German community and start actively learning the language and integrating which I have done very successfully, I'm very proud to say. But without those first two years, with those other HP wives, as they're commonly known, I probably wouldn't have made it. It's very hard for the wives who come with husbands who are moved for job purposes, because they go to the office, they're, you know, the Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, engaged, active, busy, and have the people around them. And then, you know, there's a little wifey sat at home with a little baby, And what more can you do than clean the house again?
0: You felt isolated at first.
1: Very isolated. Well, I I read a lot, though. We didn't have a TV, so I went through (laughs) stacks of books. It was, was, on that hand, it it was a bit sort of hedonistic, really. I was just able to spend all day sitting on the sofa just reading another book.
0: (laughs) And now that you've been here for 17 years, Mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the major cultural differences between, let's
1: say, being in the UK and
0: being in Germany?
1: What I discovered is how many similarities there are between Brits and Germans. You can't really say Germans because I've only have experience of this area of Stuttgart, and that's something else I have learned that regionally there are huge cultural differences between people from the north and people from the south, the west and the east, even from one village to the next. You know, As you
0: were saying, also with the the UK. The different places you were living were also quite... Different. Yes,
1: but I guess you have the commonality of the language is pretty much universal within that country that you can communicate. The accents d- d- are different. D- yeah, If I were to go to Newcastle, I probably would struggle to understand someone who was deep, deep Geordie everybody knows all the stereotypical cultural differences for me it's more interesting to notice the similarities the british and the germans okay i'm going to use the germans are generally quite reserved no they don't tend to speak their mind and historically you know how much of the english language can trace its roots back to germanic languages Mm -hmm. so I've, i've got to the point where i think of brits and germans as being more like cousins and so for me we are not so different. I'm, I've lived here too long that I can't really point out specific cultural differences because mm-hmm. I'm so used to just the way we do things down here. Yeah, well, I guess I would say, and this I say to my students as well, that don't take offence if a German speaks to you too directly. That's just the way the language is, how it's structured, the way it's developed, that it comes out direct. So don't take offence. Just go in... With an open mind, I would say, do your research, check out the region that you're going to go to, and the practical things are the tricky things. So, for example, how do you use the S-Bahn? You know, where where can I use cash and where can I use credit cards? That That's not such a big difference anymore. But I remember when my mum first came over to visit, she was absolutely horrified at how few places she could use a credit card. She's like, oh, I've travelled all over the whole of Europe and I can use my credit card everywhere and I come to Germany and I can't. So that was, that was quite a big shock. You have to do your research. You have to find out which part of Germany you're going to. Read the advice that the professionals give you because quite frankly... Germans are people I just live with and I just get on with. Okay, we own our own house, so we are legally liable if we haven't cleared the snow by 7 o'clock in the morning, if someone were to slip outside our house. We are pretty good at clearing the snow by, certainly by midday anyway. So that's so a rule we grudgingly follow. The rules, perhaps, yeah, the, the German rules and the paperwork. And so, for example, if I wanted to apply for a job, a full-time job as an English teacher in a university, I would have to provide every scrap of paper to prove every part-time course that I ever did since the day I was born. That gets a bit tedious. Um, so, yeah, the bureaucratic things are hard to deal with. But then, your average vis- visitor who's just coming and going wouldn't have to do that. But the rules, the rules. <laughs> Another one that I've noticed in in companies is how often note it, notes or notices are written in, for example, the bathrooms, saying please leave this room as you would like to find it the fact that the notice has to be put up there in the first place or or over the sink that you must wash your cup after you've used it that the the note is there in black and white um that's quite funny the the sunday no shopping thing is irritating sometimes but i think generally speaking that's a good thing we've got to have one day off a week but then when I go back to the UK, it's so convenient. You know, you're the, in the middle of Sunday lunch and you've forgotten the cream for dessert. You can just pop up the road to Tesco or wh- whichever is your local supermarket and grab your pot of cream. Yeah, can't do that here. Although I don't know, maybe you can do it in the city. I don't live in the city. I live out in the sticks, which mm. is a bit more old fashioned. And still out in the sticks, we have Wednesday half day closing. Yeah. Which, so which is really traditions. frustrating. Even with the doctor's surgery now and the bank, the bank closes on Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) So, yeah, there are some old-fashioned traditions that have long gone from the UK that are still maintained in my little southern area of countryside in Germany. So that... that, I guess I don't notice it so much because I just live with it. But if someone was coming to move here, I'd say, watch out, you need to be organised and you need to know... All the forms that you've got to fill out, and if it's not right, it'll get sent back, and you have to do it again.
0: Okay, so gnawy case, yeah, that things are exact, more exact, a little bit more exacting, yep. and a little bit more planning, and and a and few yeah. few small details. Yeah,
1: but then yeah. to be fair, from what I hear, bureaucracy is a universal problem. It seems to be every foreigner going to another country has to deal with different forms of bureaucracy. It seems to be a way of Letting the visiting person know that they are only a visitor, you're not indigenous. So you have to go through all these hoops to be part of us. The only other thing that I notice, and I'm noticing it more and more over the years, is the difference in humour between the Brits and the Germans, and the fact that you can just fall into a conversation with a complete stranger in a situation and just chat about whatever. And that's a bit difficult to do down here. But maybe it's different in northern Germany. I don't know. I mean, you know, the classic in the UK is everyone's much more friendly in the north of England than they are in the south of England. Um, But just to sort of be with people who I can instantly communicate in a jokey way, they'll take it as a joke. They won't take it literally. That is something I miss. Although with some of my German friends I can do that with. But, you know, a random person on the street, I couldn't just sort of, you know, if you're stuck in a queue waiting for something. You might just strike up a, a sort of bit of small talk conversation. Or the queue. That cue. would be different. There's a cultural <laughs> difference. Yeah, th- I, that does bug me hugely if someone is crowding my personal space when standing in a queue. So, But I've learned to big myself up. I'm quite a small person, but I've learned to stand in a queue and make myself bigger and stick my elbows out. Assertiveness is something I've learned living in Germany. I don't, I'm not the shrinking violet that I was when I moved here. So I will say and I will stand up for myself. And that is something I think that I've learned from living in Germany.
0: So we've talked a lot about ELTAs and teacher training as well as when you first came to Germany, but now you're also doing a special type of coaching. Maybe tell us a little bit about that.
1: Another of the projects that I run or that I've gotten involved in is a women's development program. It's a career and personal development program for Any woman at any level, at any phase of life, usually women over 25, 26 with life experience. It's a program developed in the UK 23 years ago by two women and it's just grown and gone international. I am the only person currently in Germany licensed to offer the program. And why is it directed specifically at women? There are so many programs and training opportunities for men out there. It's kind of like that's the norm, that's the standard. Any kind of training course that is offered in any company or even outside a company will naturally be available to men and suit their way of working. However, specific courses tailored for what women need and how they want to or how they need to develop and learn and work together is seldom the case. And what are some of the differences, do you think? Women tend to need security and to feel that they won't be judged, to feel that they're, well, in basic terms, being eyed up and evaluated in terms of physical presence. Thank you. Yes, I was trying to put that in a subtle way. Yes. I mean, you can't avoid it. Men and women together, there's always the sexual undercurrent so when it's just a group of women, it, that is taken away. And I see it in my English teaching classes. If I've got a mixed group, the dominant person, even if there's only one guy in the room, the dominant person is most likely to be him. And the women will sit quietly and kowtow and re- defer to the guy. Okay, that's an extreme example, but I have seen it. So you can imagine if you're doing a personal development course and it's a mixed group, how much development are the women going to get when there's a guy in the group? And equally, how deeply are the individual men going to allow themselves to analyse their issues in terms of personal development when they're trying to be the big guys in a group where there are also women present? So that's why with Springboard, there's a brother programme called Navigator that's just for the guys. And you have much more honesty and openness when it's a group of women who have got to the point where they trust each other. I mean, that's the fundamental of the course. We start with that right from the beginning, confidentiality, honesty and trust and and mutual respect. So we know whatever is shared within the four walls of the room in which we're doing the training goes no further, especially when it's in company. That is so critical. So they know that I'm not going to go running to their boss and say, oh, did you know that she's got a drink problem or whatever it is? That is a significant factor of the course.
0: And, and do you go to th- go uh, into things on that that level, like that, on a personal level of personal problems, or or is could it an- okay?
1: Could be. Mm-hmm. The program is designed to enable and empower the individuals to run their own program. So over the three month period, we meet four times for four full day workshops, and there's a lot that will come up during that time. In between the workshops. It's actively uh, supported and encouraged that individuals meet in small mini-groups in between. The explorations, the development, the support is ongoing throughout the whole time, and they work through a workbook also, which is a significant tool that takes them through the programme and beyond. It is continuous development. I mean, development has to be continuous. You can't just say, right, I've developed myself, that's it, what shall I do next? That's been my motto as well. The whole time I've been in Germany... The personal development, I didn't even know I was doing it. And now I can look back and say, okay, that was a process of development. Getting out of my comfort zone and standing up in front of a group of people to teach them when I wasn't even trained as a teacher, to go and do my TEFL course, to go and do my business trainer certificate in German huge step for me to go and get licensed to run springboard to go and do my postgraduate certificate in coaching so each step and I've been moving forward and forward and forward and that's not going to stop
0: for women that are maybe coming also from abroad what advice would you give them if they're stuck in a situation
1: find someone you can talk to find someone who is going to help you make the first step put your head out the front door
0: Go out of your comfort zone once well, again.
1: Even if it's only your big toe that you push out of the comfort zone, it's a step in the right direction. The thing is, you can always pull your toe back in and stay and gather yourself and before you make the next step, put your whole foot out the door. It's, it really is, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One spoonful at a time. If someone would like to find out more details about ELTAs or maybe some
0: of your coaching activities, how can they best go about doing that?
1: LTAS has a website, so we have an online presence, www.eltas.de. For me, you can find out all the information on my website, Keep Training. So that's all one word, www.keeptraining.de. And through there, there are links to different blogs that I write about personal development for teachers And the Springboard program. Michelle Hunter,
0: thank you so much for coming by today on English Breakfast. It was a pleasure having you on the show.
1: Likewise. So we hope to hear from you again. I I would be honoured to come again.